Hello, everyone. Let's go into the, the passage for today. Uh, it's found in Mark chapter 3, uh, verses 7 through 19. Again, it's book of Mark uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Uh, I'll be reading for us, and then uh, I'll pray for us. We'll go right into the uh, sermon time. Mark 3. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, <clears throat> they came to him. Excuse me. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. <clears throat> Excuse me. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around them to touch him. And whenever uh, the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them uh, not to make, them, make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that uh, they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name uh, uh, something. <laughs> uh, that is the son of thunder, sons of thunder, uh, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew and Matthew, and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and uh, Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. That is God's word. Let's pray together before we go any further. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Uh, you've been blessing our lives so much, each one of us. Uh, we know it because we are breathing right now. We have another day that we can live um, for you and for your glory and we can <clears throat> take another step in our lives because of your grace but as a church as we look forward to the next season as we move into the new building uh, we cannot say thank you enough because we got to see your faithfulness um, to our church in this building uh, but not just a building but uh, you know all the things that um, you know, you have done in our church, even through hard times, uh, which we uh, definitely went through <clears throat> as a church this past season. Uh, so I pray that uh, you would uh, just help us uh, fix our eyes on you, because only you are the solution. You are the answer. You are the Lord. You are the, the author and perfecter 
and the head of this church. So Lord, um, guide our steps, God. And uh, now, as we look into your word, uh, may you direct our gaze upon the beauty of Jesus, uh, shown and heard through uh, this word of yours. And I'm just an unworthy servant, just wanting to be clear to deliver uh, your word here. So please be with me and strengthen me to humbly uh, deliver your word as, as faithfully as I can. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, sorry about my voice. I had a lot of coffee before I came, so it's a little dry right now. Uh, the title for today's message is The People of Jesus. And uh, three points uh, to share before I start uh, to help you follow along are the people around Jesus and people with Jesus and the people like Jesus. Okay? So first, the people around Jesus. Verses 7 and 8, it says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, Edomia, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. I want you to notice there the repetition of the words great crowd. Meaning, you know, Jesus was very popular. You know, when uh, he was retreating to the lake shore of the Sea of Galilee, in, in this scene here, away from the city, away from crowded area, to have some room, to, to have some room to breathe. Even there, a lot of people are coming to see Jesus. And it says there, these are people coming from diverse regions, uh, such as Edomia, Tyre, and Sidon, which are you know, farther away from the province of, of Galilee. And, and they also had some very, uh, lots of non-Jewish population. So it's a foreign area, but these are all diverse people seeking to see Jesus because he was that popular. And I could even say that he was a sensation um, and local celebrity of the region. And could I even say, just to kind of help you picture what's going on here, he could even be called a BTS of that time or something like that. Very popular. So the question is, why is he so popular? What's going on? Verses 9 and, 9, 10, 9 and 10, it says, And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. He was popular because he was displaying the great sign of healing people. And you know, if he's doing that, why wouldn't you follow him? Why wouldn't you love him? Because you know, he's healing you and your loved ones of any physical pain and mental and emotional too, probably. And also you're witnessing the great spectacle of miracles such as you know, casting out demons in the next verse. However, I want you to see that something is missing, uh, which is that uh, it doesn't say that the crowd has faith or belief in the message and teaching of Jesus. It's only the miracles that they are focusing on. You know, we have seen so far in this book 
uh, that the main mission of Jesus was to preach the message of the gospel and to invite uh, people uh, into the, the kingdom of God through their repentance and faith. And the miracles like healing and exorcism are important, and yet they are secondary. They are to you know, prove the authenticity and validity of his teaching. Teaching the message was the main thing. But the crowd seems to be you know, zoning mainly on his external miracles and the spectacles externally. And we'll see later in the book of Mark that uh, this very crowd who are amazed right now, uh, they will fall away once they, you know, uh, once the sens sensation and once the excitement uh, wear out, you know, and they don't get what they want anymore from Jesus, they will all run away and fall away. And that is the shallow and fickle hearts of humans towards Jesus. They follow him when they get what they want from him. And they just stay at that level of being content with what they get on the outside and externally. And again, when that shallow pleasure is out, uh, they move on to other things. And we are all guilty of that, if we're honest. Let's go to the next slide. Um, picture of buffet here. Um, I think the rule of thumb when you go to buffet is this, right? You know, to try to get as much food or as much variety of food uh, as possible. You know, that's the goal because you want to maybe save money and, you know, you want to get filled. But if you're smart, maybe you just focus on, you know, a few dishes and try to get those as much as possible. But from my experience, hardly anyone who are, who's at buffet uh, really truly enjoy their food. Uh, because we're so busy eating, again, as much food as possible and try to like, enjoy through the, the fullness. And often we get heartburn instead because of that. Uh, in contrast, if you go to a restaurant that specializes uh, in one dish, uh, say like sushi or something, uh, then you get to really sit down and enjoy and zone in on that one you know, specialized food and try to enjoy that as much as possible and really savor the different aspects of the, the flavor and things like that. So you say, oh man, this is so good. This sushi is so buttery and man, I love this sushi, right? I think the world operates like a buffet, uh, meaning that it has lots of options for us to choose from and we often uh, tend to try to enjoy you know, all these different options. And what happens is that often we get heartburn because we have inordinate desire and love for you know, some of them and few of them and just get too much of it. But God is like that restaurant that specializes in one type of food that he wants you to enjoy and just savor it, you know, go deeper in terms of the flavor and you know, things like that. And the, the story that we have here, the people are, again, just doing just that, that they're trying to choose from different options as opposed to going deeper into the, the feast of, you know, God and Jesus and the gospel. And 
I want to argue you. I want to maybe ask us, you know, perhaps, you know, if we feel stagnant in our walk with Christ these days, you know, one possibility is that we may have too many options in our lives, uh, that we know what to choose from, and therefore we are prevented from, you know, going deeper into that food, that gourmet food that only God can give us. The question is, is he your ultimate option? Do we go deeper into him alone uh, to savor him? So the people around Jesus, you know, they're not close to him here in this picture. They just want to move on and get whatever they want in a shallow level. But there is a second group that we want to uh, study more in this passage, which is the people with Jesus. So follow with me. Verse 13. It says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. So now Jesus you know, retreats even further away to remote area. Uh, and it says it's a mountain. And he carves out a few people to follow him out of the crowd. And next, next two verses kind of explain uh, more what's happening in this scene. Verse 14, it says, He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So it's the twelve people uh, that Jesus appointed to be his close followers. And here right away, what's incredible is that these people will do what only Jesus has been able to do thus far. Only Jesus has the authority to do these things thus far, which are preaching and casting out demons. And now these people are given that authority to do these two things. But I have to say that that is only a tip of the iceberg of what kind of privilege these people have. Uh, and let me explain what that means. Uh, the whole scene here is a big symbol of a deeper reality. Uh, that is, the mountain here uh, reminds, reminds us, of, uh, us of Moses going up on the mountain Sinai, and, and there he basically launched the nation of Israel. That was the birth of Israel. And also the number 12 reminds us of the 12 tribes of Israel. So you see, putting that together, what's happening here is that Mark, the author, is depicting Jesus to be restoring Israel, uh, restoring the people of God through these 12 people. And that's why these 12 people are doing what they're told to be doing, which are, again, preaching, just like Jesus, preaching the message of gospel, inviting people into the restore the kingdom of Israel through their repentance and faith. And they can also perform miracles like casting out demons to what? To prove the validity of their message. That's the authority and power that Jesus gave them because they are the restored or rather pillars of the new people of God. So you see, there's a contrast here. We looked at the crowd that's 
outside. That, that's just trying to enjoy the shallow level of, you know, the pleasure of Jesus. But now here we see uh, the 12 disciples out of that crowd who were invited to come closer and to go deeper. And upon their response, they now have the privilege of, you know, having this delegated authority to do his work. And now they're participating in the kingdom work. And there is joy in it. Let me explain, explain, explain this way. Let me illustrate uh, using, I guess, my example here. Um, so when I was a freshman in high school, I went to a very small uh, Christian high school in Illinois. And it was really small. Uh, I think literally there were 20-some people in the whole high school. Um, but for some reason, this school had five amazing basketball players. So that uh, this school, again, very tiny school, uh, won the state championship among uh, Christian high schools like several years in a row. Okay? And I joined that team when I was that when I was a freshman. But I want you to understand, you know, I want you to know that the fact here, I suck at basketball. You shouldn't be deceived by, by my height, okay? Um, a lot of people told me that it's, you know, a waste of height because I don't use it for basketball and I just, I just don't like playing basketball or any sports, to be honest. But I joined anyway because all my friends were joining. I didn't want to be lonely. And I still remember that the, the, the coach of the team looked really excited when he saw me joining, you know, probably having this hope that I can, you know, contribute to the team. But then after a few practices, you know, he gave up. <laughs> uh, so basically, I was a bench warmer all throughout the, the championship and for any game. And that was fine because that, that was good for the team. And I didn't want to mess up the whole the streak of, you know, championship either. But anyways, so this, uh, so we entered the, the championship. And uh, as usual, my team was doing really great. And they easily, we easily uh, advanced to the final game. And even during the final game, uh, you know, entering into the middle of second half, you know, my team was winning by a lot, right? And when there was like three minutes left, uh, you know, you can't tell it's, it's already over. You know, the, the other team is kind of giving up to it's, you know, it was, it was over. At that moment, my, my gracious coach looked at me and he smiles and he's like, Aiden, here's your chance. <laughs> Get off the bench. So I, I took off that, you know, the, the shirt or whatever and I answered for those three minutes, right? And, I mean, to be honest, I was running around trying to like do something, but I didn't know what I was doing. But I was still happy that I was doing something. And then, this guy from the, the opposite team, you know, comes up to me, and clearly, you know, by just looking at his dribbling, he was a bench warmer too, that <laughs> the, the, their coach, you know, brought in to show some grace. And he dribbles towards me, 
and I was just sitting, you know, in front of the hook, and then he jumps like right in front of me to shoot the hook, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna defend, so I block the ball, <laughs> and I guess it looks pretty cool or something. The whole stadium went nuts. <laughs> it's like, whoa, and I was like, oh, okay, I enjoyed it. So I was like, all right, I guess that was pretty good. And I was kind of having that, that swag and like, you know, I was like, because I was on the, on the court to the end of the game. And I was very happy to get that attention and all of that. And then, because we won the game, uh, you know, we, our team, and me, as part of the team, got the winning medal. And then I got to put that on my college application saying that I was the champion of the state basketball for Christian high schools. Uh, I share that because uh, when Jesus came into the scene, um, there was no match. He was, so to speak, a, leading a winning team because you know, no power on earth, even you know, Satan or demons, could not go against him. So he would go on to defeat Satan on the cross and through his resurrection. And his team was truly the winning team. And now we see in this passage and throughout history, you know, he invites people to play on the court. And people cannot mess that up because he already accomplished everything. Instead, he wants people to join and participate and experience the joy and privilege of playing for Jesus. And do you know what that joy is? The joy is that somehow by God's amazing grace, through our mouth, the gospel can be preached and Lord willing, we get to witness people change. God uses people like us and he graciously invites us to experience that joy as part of the winning team. And that's a challenge for us here. Um, God is inviting not only the disciples, the chosen ones, no. He's inviting all the disciples of Jesus uh, to go beyond the minimal uh, go beyond the surface, but go closer to Jesus and play, so to speak, in his mission field. It's not just for Michelle or anybody else who's on the mission. We are all on the mission field. And of course, the authority to cast out demons and things like that are unique to the disciples. Uh, but we have the gift and privilege to speak in Jesus' name, just like the disciples. And we have to exercise that authority uh, and build relationships with our families, friends, classmates, co-workers, and share the gospel through our lives and our words. And again, when you do that, there's joy. So the people with Jesus. Lastly, the people like Jesus. And now, uh, we want to end with the how this process works. Because if we just stop there, 
it may sound like, oh, we just like, just do it, just serve and, you know, jump right in, which is important too, but there seems to be a process here. So we go back to verse 14. There's an important phrase. It says that Jesus appointed 12 so that, what? They might be with him. The order is very important there. That's, Jesus said, Mark says that first before he talks about the tasks. He says, so that they might be with Jesus. What that means is that essentially that we grow in our relationship with Jesus through his presence to the point that we become like him. And that's, you know, I think that's pretty logical, right? Because if we spend more time with people or in any relationship, we become, we become like that person. Uh, you know, just like in our church or any group, you know, we, we become like one another, whether we like it or not. There is some, you know, culture that's formed. That's what happens. Just like that, when Jesus is in our relationship, in our loving, quality relationship, uh, there's a growth in knowledge of Him, and we become like Him. And that's what usually happens. And what's cool here in this passage is that the stories of the disciples listed here uh, illustrate that very point. So we read the rest of the passage there, verses 16 through 19. It says, He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, and Andrew the, the, and Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew, uh, Thomas, you know, James, and, and Simon, Judas. So these are the names of the disciples there. And what's interesting is that, like, to be really honest, this is a list of people who are very unimpressive. Uh, first of all, Peter is a very impulsive guy if you read through the Gospels. And, and also here, Jesus gives a nickname to James and John, right? The, the sons of thunder. Likely because uh, they have a temper issue. So let's go to Luke 9, 52 to uh, 54. It says, He sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples... James and John saw it. They said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And that's just a snippet of their personality. You know, they're just very, you know, kind of out-to-get-people type of personality. And we also see Thomas, you know, as we know from the, the idiom, Doubting Thomas, uh, is a well-known for displaying such lack of faith, you know, when Jesus came back from, the, from dead uh, after his resurrection. And then lastly, of course, there is Judas Iscariot, you know, who betrays Jesus and hands him off to the enemies to be killed. And here are the two lessons from these disciples. On the one hand, these apostles show that it's not their own merits that enable them to do great work for Jesus. Uh, that's why... When Judas abandons his post uh, 
as an apostle, he's easily replaced by another person in, in Acts 1, namely Matthias. What that means is, this encouraging news, anybody, no matter what their skill set, no matter what their past, can be a part of kingdom work. No qualification if you have faith in Jesus. And the disciples illustrate that. The second les lesson after that is this. The story of, stories of the apostles display also the power of Jesus that transforms. So Simon, for example, you know, again, who is he's very impulsive and a coward who later uh, publicly, publicly denies Jesus three times. Uh, so to this guy, Simon, Jesus gives him another name, uh, Peter, which means a rock. And what that means is that Jesus already gave him the, the person, the, the picture of who he wants Peter to become. And after that, he you know, grows him in the process, and eventually Peter becomes a leader of the early church. And just read this with me. First uh, Peter 1.8, here's what Peter says during that process. He says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So Peter is saying, even when you're suffering, even when you know, you're going through tough times doing God's work for Christ, there can be joy. Because when you spend time with Jesus during that time, you become the person like Christ who can even rejoice in their suffering. Peter, though he was, again, impulsive, imperfect, he has, he's been becoming a joyful person as he became more like Christ. And I hope that encourages you to take your walk with Christ seriously. And, and let me share this as, as I close. Uh, this quote from uh, C.S. Lewis's The Abolition of, uh, Ab Ab Abolition of Man. And I hope that encourages you. Uh, he, he says this. There is something which unites magic and applies science while separating both from the wisdom of earlier ages. For the wise men of old, the cardinal problem had been how to conform the soul to reality, and the solution had been knowledge, self-discipline, and virtue. For magic and applied science alike, the problem is how to subdue reality to the wishes of men. The solution is a technique, and both in the practice of this technique are ready to do things hitherto regarded as disgusting and impious, such as digging up and mutilating the dead. That is a long quote, but please follow with me. What Lewis is saying is this, the wise people of old who walk with God they saw that the problem is themselves, not God or not the world. So uh, they try to align themselves with God and try to solve the problem uh, by 
disciplining themselves uh, to be more like God in their uh, thoughts, behavior, and character. Uh, and, but then back then, at the same time, there are some other people who saw, uh, who treated the problem to be the world, not themselves. And they used what? Magic to alter the, the outside world to fit that world into themselves. And Lewis is arguing that modern science is like magic, uh, where we see the problem to be outside of ourselves and try to alter the reality to fit the world into us. And he calls that technique, technology. But just like magic, if you do that, if you have that attitude towards the world and your life, um, again, just like magic, it's an illusion. You, you may fix the problem, um, but it will not last for that long. Uh, but on the other hand, if you truly see the problem to be yourself, sin, or uh, the difference between you and Christ, so you want to become like Christ, so you, you try to align yourself with Christ, try to become more like Him, and to fit into His mold, the solution you get is everlasting because you become the person that you are told to become. You see the difference there? Fixing the situations to fit the world into you that doesn't last, just fixing items versus you becoming the person. You become the wise person knowing what to do because you are becoming more like Christ. And that's the key. That the growth of our Christian life is not about doing and fixing things. I'm learning more and more. I'm just being really honest with you. I think this past season has been very tough for me, right? You know, as a pastor, just going through a tough time as a church. And what one thing that God pressed upon me over and over is, you know, Aiden, whenever there's a tough problem, you know, do you want to fix him? Or do you want to become more like Christ, knowing how to deal with those problems like Christ? Because if I go with the former, then I may fix the problems, but I will not grow to become the person that can glorify Christ and bless you, the people. Uh, but if I go with the latter, if I grow to become the person that God is calling me to be, then I can be myself. It's not about what I do, but who I am. Um, becoming like Christ, that's the solution that we are called to. Uh, seek after. And I love this quote from John Newton. Uh, it always encourages me. He said, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I'm not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. That is a secret. And that is the, again, first prerequisite before the tasks. We must become the person, the person that is like Christ. Let's pray together. Let's take some time in prayer. I think the more we you know, read through uh, the Gospel of Mark, in fact, the more we read through the Bible, the more we 
acquaint ourselves with the gospel, we'll realize more and more that it's not about us. Again, just look at the list of the disciples. They're all just like us. It's not about me. It's not about any of you. Only if the kingdom of God can advance through me, that's all that matters. It's what Christ does through us. And we are told to become the person. Again, I can say so much about that because I, I, I've told you I, I'm a perfectionist. I, I like to do things well. And when I am successful, I, I get happy. And when I don't do well on things or perform, you know, not as well, that, that crushes me. Uh, but man, when I go back to the gospel, that says, it's all about Christ. He's growing me, especially through my failures. Praise the Lord. I'm free. I can continue to seek Him by His grace. So can we pray? Just examining our hearts right now. Just ask God to search your hearts. And perhaps ask for the comfort and assurance that comes from the gospel that we just uh, heard from the word. Let's pray together, but um, before I close in prayer for us, I just want to encourage us to uh, just enjoy this time where we're in the presence of Jesus, that we're with Him, where we can be ourselves, where His love and goodness uh, you know, follow after us apart from what we do. Uh, may we rest in that grace of Jesus. And as you do that, um, may you also pray that God give you courage and joy to um, you know, participate in the joy of you know, doing his work, um, whether it's uh, you know any any people in your life that God perhaps has been um, you know burdening you burdening you with uh, people that you feel like God is kind of tugging at your heart with, um, whoever that may be. Um, but again, uh, it's not about the task, but may we start with. Just wanting to enjoy Jesus, even in His work. And as we pray that, uh, I'll close, close first in prayer. But let's spend some time. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the, the message of your gospel that says anybody can come and enjoy you and participate in the work of saving souls in this world. Uh, but God, we acknowledge that there's so many things in our hearts that hinder us from coming to you. Uh, 
um, and, and from uh, you know participating in those works God God would you heal our hearts uh, you are the healer after all and as you um, touch our hearts may we get to see you as you are and get to experience the joy of your presence in our lives i want to lift up it's for those of us who have been just struggling in their walk with you may you um, you know cover them and embrace them with your grace and draw them closer just as you drew the disciples and remind them of you know wherever they might might have been they are still welcome to the table. Welcome to, uh, to your embrace. And that you're changing them and changing us to be more like Christ. Become the person uh, who can go through any situations in our lives um, with confidence, with ease and peace that comes from knowing Christ. Help us, Lord. Uh, let's end together with the uh, Lord's Prayer. Heavenly Father, we, uh, our, our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please be seated.